We started this morning by reading John chapter 20. We read of how on that first day of the week, that Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene got up early. She gathered the, the, the spices and she made her way to the tomb where Jesus had been buried just days before, expecting to arrive there, not sure how she would move the stone. Mary comes upon it. She finds that the stone has been rolled away. She finds that, that Jesus' body is not in the tomb where it's supposed to be, where it was laid just two days, three nights before. And so, in disbelief, Mary runs. She goes back and she finds John and she finds Peter, we read. She tells them, someone has taken the body of our Lord. It's gone. So Peter and John waste no time. They begin running. They run to the tomb. John writes that he himself outruns Peter. He gets there first. And when John gets to the tomb, he also finds Mary's account to be true. The stone has been rolled away. It's not where they had left it. And he, he hits the ground because he finds the burial cloths, the linens lying there on the ground. John, in disbelief, he sits there looking at these linens, these grave cloths. Peter then gets there. He finds John outside the tomb looking at the grave clothes. So Peter goes in himself and he finds the cloth that was around Jesus' face, around his head. He finds that, but he doesn't find that a chaotic mess. No, instead, John, Peter finds that the cloth has been folded and set aside. See, this was no accident. Peter then begins to, to realize what's going on here. This was not someone that, that just came and snatched Jesus' body out of the grave. This, then, must have been all that Jesus had talked about. John himself comes in behind Peter and he finds the scene. He begins to look around. I imagine Peter and John, they look at each other and they begin to smile because they remember all of these things that Jesus had said to them over the three and a half years that he had spent with them, day and night, walking with them, talking with them, teaching them. They remembered what Jesus had said to them just days before. The Son of Man must be betrayed. He must be crucified. And through that, the redemption for all mankind. We read in John chapter 20 that when Peter and John come upon this cloth of Jesus lying in the tomb, it says they saw it and they believed. Then we read how Mary herself gets back. She finds the tomb empty. She's weeping, bitterly weeping in disbelief. What has happened here? And she's met. She's not just met by anyone. She's met by Jesus. Amen? She's met by Jesus. And, and he says to her, woman, why are you crying? 
Why are you so broken? If you've taken him somewhere, just tell me where you've put him so I can go and get him. Mary just wants to go and get the body of Jesus. But Jesus, after addressing Mary Magdalene as woman twice, side note, I love that. Jesus calls her by name, as only Jesus can. And he says, Mary. She looks at him and she says, Rabbi, teacher. Realizing that it's Jesus, she falls at his feet. She begins to worship him. Jesus tells her, he says, go back and tell my brothers. Go back and tell my disciples what you've seen, what you've experienced. And so she runs faster than she had ever run before. She runs back to the upper room and she finds the disciples and she tells them the message that Jesus had shared with her. I saw him with my very own eyes. I've experienced this. Now I imagine... That when this first female evangelist hits that room, the disciples hear this message and they say, no, you're, you're crazy. You've got to be out of your mind. John and Peter show up, right? And they back up the very message. And so they wait. And they wait, somewhat in disbelief. I'm still not convinced that over the period of waiting, they were completely convinced. Because you've got Mary over here, you've got John, you've got Peter. They're saying this, but the, the rest of them, the other seven disciples, eight disciples rather, nine disciples, doing the math in my head, The other nine disciples are still in disbelief until that day when Jesus comes. It says the, the door was locked. They were in there for fear of the Jews. What might happen to them? And then Jesus comes and he dwells with them. And this message is so powerful. Jesus says, see my hands? You see that nail mark in my hand? You see my side where they pierced me with a spear and blood and water flowed out as I hung on the cross? You see these scars? He says, see and believe. And the disciples we read in John chapter 20, they look in great amazement. For before their very eyes stands their Savior, their friend, their teacher, who was dead but now is alive, who was buried but is now standing among them, talking with them, showing them his physical body. But then we read verse 24 of John 20. It says this, Now... Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the other ten disciples when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand, 
Unless I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I wonder how many of you have children or grandchildren? Just raise your hand. Quite a few of you. I'm not sure about your child or your grandchild. Mine do it all the time. We have four of our own. Do any of your kids ever tease their siblings or their friends? Yeah? See, because I, I read this account here, and I read of now there's 11 disciples here. For the last three and a half years, they had not just known each other. They had walked together. They had camped together. They had spent almost every waking moment together being poured into at this point these 11 were a family they were brothers there was a bond there now imagine if you will one of these 11 being out of the room being away from the the the, the home and he comes back happy he's heard john he's heard peter he's heard mary magdalene he's heard that jesus is alive but he comes back into the room and these other ten greet him and say, Thomas, you missed it. Jesus was just here. You shouldn't have gone to Walmart, Thomas. He was just here. And then they spend the next week, right, telling Thomas all that he had missed. Reliving these moments of how, I don't know how he came into the room. The door was locked. Didn't, didn't you lock the door? Yeah, I locked the door, but Jesus was here. You've, you've got another one of your brothers over here saying, you know what, Jesus showed me his hands. I was right there whenever, whenever he put his hand there. I saw the, the nail mark. It was, it was about this big. No, 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 that, you know, it was, it was this big. And, you know, all of these things. I could have touched him, but I, I didn't. I was afraid, you know, I wish I would have. And Thomas, all the while this week, as, as the other ten are talking about this miraculous encounter they had with the risen Lord, Thomas is saying, shut up, Right? Just stop talking about it, guys. And so after a while, Thomas establishes this, this test. He says, fine, it's okay if the, other, if the rest of you saw him. It's all right if the rest of you saw his hands, you saw his side. It's okay with me, but here's what it's going to take to convince me. I have to put my finger where that nail was. I have to put my hand into his side Unless I do that, unless Jesus gives me the opportunity to do that, what does he say? I will not believe it. I won't do it. See, in Thomas, then, he, he gains this nickname. You've, most of you heard it. Maybe you've even called someone else this in your own life. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. The question friends, is can we really blame Thomas for doubting? Can we really blame Thomas for not having that, that strong faith that Jesus truly is alive? Because, see, we've all been where Thomas was, haven't we? We've all been there. Jesus claimed to be God's son. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, and yet now then he went and died. He got himself crucified on a Roman cross. 
The question in all of their minds was, how could he have been the Messiah if he's dead? But then, Thomas hears that Jesus is alive. Then he finds out that the other ten brothers of his have experienced Jesus. They've met him. They've seen him. Thomas felt as though his teacher, his friend, Jesus, had lied to him. Not only that, Thomas felt as though Jesus didn't care enough about him to wait until he was there too. Why did Jesus come while Thomas was out of the room? He wondered. Seeing he had to wrestle with this for a week. Jesus, why did you leave me out? Do you love me less than you love them? Why did you forget about me? You did this miraculous account in the lives of all my brothers but not me and so that week goes by and Thomas waits he waits for for, for Jesus to show up Thomas waits for Jesus to come and show him his hands and his side but as that week passes Thomas loses faith more and more faith every day is gone And as he listens to his friends carry on about Jesus' visit, how they had seen him, Thomas establishes that test. But then it happens. Praise the Lord. Then it happens. Verse 26 says this. A week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Don't miss that. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Then he says to Thomas, Thomas, come here. Can you you imagine this? Enter into this account with me. Thomas, come, come here. Imagine if Jesus showed himself to you and he, he calls you out by name. So he says, Thomas, come here. Put your finger right right here. Put your hands into my side. And he says this, the, the most powerful words that Thomas had ever heard in his life, the most powerful words that, that Thomas would ever hear in his life, he says these four words, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. You see, church, Jesus knew on that day that Thomas felt lost. Jesus knew that that Thomas felt left out, that Thomas felt forgotten about, as though he was losing, he was not just doubting, he was losing hope, he was losing faith. So Jesus meets him here in the midst of of his doubts. He says, Thomas, draw, come, come close. He doesn't do this for anyone else. Thomas, come close. Reach out your hand. Reach out. Put, put your finger right here. Put your hand right here. Stop doubting 
and believe. I say Jesus met Thomas in the midst of his doubt. Here's the reality, friends, and here's what this means to you, and here's what it means to me. Jesus knows that you and I would have moments when we feel lost. Jesus knew that we would have moments when we felt as though we had been forgotten. Jesus knew that we had moments when we felt like we had been left out. Jesus knew that we would have questions in our mind when we see other people thriving and the blessings being poured down on other people and we begin to question, Jesus, do you love me less than you love them? Why have you left me out? Why aren't you moving in my life the way you're moving in their life? And knowing where we would be, knowing that we would have moments where we lose hope, knowing that we would have moments when we begin to lose faith, Jesus speaks at this moment as he stands with the disciples, as he talks with Thomas, he says this to you and to me. Speaking thousands of years down the road, thinking of you and me, he says this in verse 29, John 20. Because you have seen me, Thomas, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Friends, as for you, and that's for me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, I can put my name into that verse right there. Blessed is Adam because he has not seen me physically but he has believed. Blessed is, 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 is Jennifer. Although she has not seen, she has believed. Blessed is, is Mike. Although he has not seen, he has believed. Blessed is Karen. Although she has not seen, she has believed. See, that's you. And that's me. And that's faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says it this way, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we have not yet seen. The confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we have not yet seen. Friends, I wonder, do you have things that you are hoping for? Do you have things in your life, blessings in your life that you are hoping for and you have not yet seen come to fruition? You haven't seen that, 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 that blessing fall upon you, but you've been crying out to God for it. Maybe it's a burden that you've been carrying in your life, and you've been asking God, God, take this away. If you are real, take this away. Prove it, God. Show yourself to me. See, but faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we have not yet seen. The question for us in the church then, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, or if we want Jesus to meet us where we are, is do we then have faith? Do we have real faith? See, faith can and faith will bring forgiveness into our life. A forgiveness perhaps that we've been holding back for far too long. And with that forgiveness, a peace that we can live an assured life, life with Jesus Christ. 
Faith can and faith will bring healing to broken, even shattered relationships in our lives if we proclaim the name of Jesus. Faith can, faith will bring a healing into our life. Maybe it's a physical healing. Maybe it's an emotional healing in our life. And if you don't believe me, come back. Join us next week. Join us the week after. Join us the week after. And we're going to be diving into accounts where Jesus shows that faith can do the impossible. And our faith in Jesus Christ can achieve the miraculous. See, I say faith can and faith will do what is otherwise impossible. What we alone, baby, when we sit by ourselves, we sit in our room or we sit in our closet and we feel sorry for ourselves, we say, God, I just wish this would, I just wish you would show me this. I wish you would take this away. I believe what Jesus wants to continue to say to us as he says to Thomas is stop doubting and believe. See, because that belief, that faith is the key that unlocks our future. That faith is the key to our entire life. And it begins with a faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, the one that has taken away the penalty of our sin. We no longer have to fear that day when we will leave this earthly life, stand before God, because we know that in Christ we have been forgiven. We know that when we stand before Jesus as Christians, that is those who proclaim the name of Jesus, we know that he will say to us, go on in. Welcome, son. Welcome, daughter. You're covered by the blood Jesus. We no longer have to fear if we have faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Faith, I say it begins with our faith. It also begins with our faith in Jesus as our Lord. That is the King. That is our ruler. The one that determines our next move in life. When Jesus says go, we go. When Jesus says stay, we stay. When Jesus says speak, we speak. There's a power that comes in us through Jesus and through his Holy Spirit. And as we claim Jesus as our Lord, all of those areas of our life that we've been struggling with for so long, and we say, I just can't find peace in this. There's no possible way that I can escape the past here. Our faith in Jesus as our Lord unlocks that. And we experience a new transformed life. In him. It all begins with our faith in Jesus. And it can all begin today. Amen? Amen. But maybe like Thomas you doubt. Maybe like Thomas you feel left out. You feel lost as though you've lost hope. You've lost faith. Maybe this morning you need that increase in faith. And so church I'm going to give you a challenge whether you're a part of our church family every week, you become a part of our church family every week, or you have a home church, here's my challenge to you. You ready? Pray this simple prayer every day. Jesus, help me in my unbelief. Jesus, help me in my unbelief. Jesus, help me in my unbelief. 
Maybe you say, well, I've, I've never prayed before. That's all right. Start there. Jesus, help me in my unbelief. Maybe you say, well, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good at praying. I, I don't even know how to pray. Start there. Jesus, help me in my unbelief. Maybe you say, well, I don't, I don't know if I believe all the gospel message that you're, that, you're, that you're talking about today. I don't know if I believe in this Jesus. That's all right. Start there. Jesus, help me in my unbelief. You see, Jesus desires to show himself to you. He desires to do the miraculous before you. He desires to transform your life and make it better than you ever thought it could be. Jesus desires to show you himself. And he desires to, as he says here, he desires to bless you because, you ready for this? Even though you have not physically seen him, although you have not felt his hands, although you have not placed your hand in his side like Thomas did, Jesus desires to bless you all the more. That's what he says to Thomas. That's what he says to you. And that's what he says to me. And that's why we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with faith, with confidence, with assurance. Friends, I want you to try something for me. Just, just close your eyes and imagine. Imagine, as you close your eyes, imagine what you're... Imagine the greatest burdens in your life. Right now, just imagine the things that you struggle with the most. Maybe it's something... Maybe it's a temptation. Maybe it's something sinful in your life. And you know you need to get rid of it. Maybe it's something that, that's, that's holding you back from moving forward. Just maybe it's even a person that you struggle to forgive, you struggle to make reconciliation with. And when you think of this situation, it just it brings a knot to your stomach. Imagine, friends... If that was removed. Imagine what your, what your future could be like in Jesus, walking with him, talking with him, sharing with him. See, that's the life of peace. That's the life of complete joy. That's the life of complete fulfillment that Jesus proclaims. And he says, I want to give that to you. But first, I need you to come to me. I need you to draw close to me in faith. Father God, I want to lift up to you this church family this morning. Father God, I want to, I want to lift up to you, Jesus, all those that, that came in here this morning, Jesus, to celebrate this day and all that it means to the church. Jesus, I want to lift up to you, especially right now, God, those that are struggling with various areas in their life. I want to lift up to you, Jesus, those that are struggling, Lord, with a burden, a struggle, a relationship. I want to lift up to you those, Lord, that, that carry a physical or an emotional burden in their life, Jesus. Jesus, help us in our unbelief. Help us in our unbelief. So, friends, as we prepare this morning... To close this service together, we've got a song called This I Believe. It's a proclamation of everything that we as the church believe. 
I'm going to invite you this morning as we sing this song. If you have faith in Jesus, I'm going to invite you to stand. And as we sing this song, I would tell you, if you've got something going on in your life, something that the Holy Spirit's doing, something that he's working on in your life, maybe it's a, a burden that you just struggle to, to, to let go of, I'm going to tell you, the altar's open. I would be more than honored to pray with you. If you need me to come back there, just raise your hand. We've got people all around that would love to, to pray with you. But this morning, as we close with this song, let me encourage you to stand as a proclamation to say, yes, Jesus, I have faith in you.